Hello, watchers. I'm Katie Saresset. And I'm Kelly Appel. And we're watching out loud. I think we have the giggles a little bit. Wait, do something totally unique. (laughs) Okay, we're ready. Okay. All right. Hi. Hi. Welcome back, sad boys. So not to be too cringy, but uh, if you guys are listening, can you please rate, review, and follow us on your preferred streaming services, maybe? The more followers we get on spotify the closer we get to making money off of this yeah and then we have other people listening so that it's not just our friends (laughs) (laughs) please um so yeah really quick just to like kind of like call myself out i said in the last episode that i like listened to misfits and that wasn't untrue but it kind of felt posery like i felt like a poser afterward so it like Yes, I did listen to a few of their songs, but like if I would have been a better answer. I just don't want to be a poser. But the thing is, if you were wearing a Misfits t-shirt <laughs> and a guy came up to you and was like, oh yeah, need a song, would, would you be able to? Probably not. Oh, okay. I'll be honest. I was trying, to come to, to my your, head. I was trying to come to your defense. Don't. But you know, you're honest. A. You're humble. I mean, like, I don't know. Don't ask. <laughs> That's such a stupid thing to ask someone. Literally, if you ask me that, don't walk into the street into oncoming traffic <laughs> before you think. Stop. When you see me and you want to ask me that, my misfit shirts as I'm being a poster. <laughs> I want you to stop, look both ways, walk into traffic, and stand my business. <laughs> you heard it here first. first. <laughs> So Katie, what have you been watching lately? <laughs> yes, we're gonna do a new segment now where it's we're just gonna talk about what we're watching. What are you watching now? Uh well, I just finished, as I know you just finished, yeah. Blue Eye Samurai. <sighs> we can't not talk about it. Oh my god, it was so it's good. so good. So if you guys haven't seen Blue Eye Samurai on Netflix yet, it's beautiful, it's anime, it's a I'm, bunch of, you know, Japanese actors. Yeah, are I'm not playing. even an anime girly really mm-hmm. i mean like you know i like some you know ghibli stuff but yeah it but was- it's it's really beautiful it's it's wonderfully done i said it's like uh or george actually told me that it's mulan meets kill bill basically oh, yes so, very much very violent and we love it um and a lot of strong female characters yes all strong female yeah. characters more than any men in it so yeah. <laughs> um but aside from that i've been uh re-watching dragon ball speaking of anime dragon ball z dragon ball oh okay so that's what? the first the first installment that's the origin story. that's the origin story got it and uh, I have literally like two episodes left of Dragon Ball, and oh, then cool. I get to start Dragon Ball Z. So, so. is because c- is Goku in Z? Or? He's in all. He's in all of it, I believe. Oh. I don't know the ones Look after Z, but yeah, Goku. It's all. It's all Goku. It's all so about it the starts Goku. when he was like a twelve-year-old, mm. and then by the time you get to the end of Dragon Ball, he's like eighteen, maybe. Mm. And. Uh, and then it goes into Dragon Ball Z and he has yeah. a whole family. Yeah. They do like teenagers in anime because Misu's only 19. Yeah. 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 It's it's weird because 
Uh, it took me a while because Dragon Ball comes in so hot with like animated child penis. Uh, yeah. Pardon? <laughs> cut that. Cut that. <laughs> Don't cut that. <laughs> and, um, it was just like a lot at first. I remember I was like reading and I think I was like studying for my master's exam. And, and you're George, like, what's with all the beat George, dicks? Was wa- George was watching Dragon Ball and I'm like, excuse me? What are you watching? And he had to explain that it's kind of like, uh, you know, an adult cartoon. Like, I thought that it was more for kids because, like, my brother I and I watched Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, when yeah. we were kids. But then with the amount of, like, penises that were in it so early on, I think they kind of came away from it. Mm-hmm. But it's. It's anime, and it was the 80s, so. They were like, guys, let's take a step back from all the the penises. (laughs) all the penises. It was like Goku didn't know the difference between a boy and a girl, so he'd always, like, feel people's genitals to Uh, see. (laughs) Not a consent king. No, no, no. It was the 80s. (laughs) Valid. I don't think anyone was consent kings. What are you watching? (laughs) Uh, Well, I was, like, boogieing through Insecure, but you know me with my sex scenes, I... They're just so fucking boring. So that was a lot. Kind of took a break. Um, but I watched the first two episodes of the newest season of True Detectives. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. and then I decided I'm gonna pause because I forgot so much of the first season. Mm-hmm. So I've been rewatching that and which is to me one of the best seasons of I, television ever. Yeah, and I think like it's universally accepted as like the best season period. Yeah, I, I think seasons. Two, two, season two was a flop. Like, I know that a lot I only of people, watched a few episodes. Yeah, I never watched it because everyone was like, don't watch it. Yeah. I probably will eventually. But And then I just watched three before season four came out. And it was fine. Yeah. It was like the by the last episode, I was just like, oh, like, you could have gone a really cool way and then you didn't. And so I feel like they're trying to make up with that with four. Yeah, so it's a different uh, writer, too, for four. It's a woman oh, this season. That's really cool that, um, that Which is like, oh, and then she casts two female leads. Who's surprised? I Literally nobody. Yes. So um, I know the fan base has mixed feelings because it's not that the original guy because he did the first three seasons. I didn't realize he did the first three. Yeah, and then he was going to do the season four, but I don't know. It's something happened. So I'm I'm excited. But it, it is tough to keep shows going because we just finished Fargo too. And mm-hmm. the first uh, two seasons especially were really good. But yeah, after the fourth season, I kind of called it because I was like, uh, the fourth season wasn't good enough to make me want to start a fifth oh, season. That sucks. That's always a bummer. Yeah, it's okay. It's life. And at least it's like... Uh, it's not a continuous story. Yeah, so. for sure. For sure. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I know this. This was your first time watching Garden State, right? Yes. Well, we're, well, we're all here for. Yeah. Zach Braff's Garden State. Zach Braff's <laughs> Garden State. So yeah. uh, I saw it the first time as a teenager, but you had a fully have a fully developed brain. Can you tell me about that? <laughs> Can you tell me about your brain and how it reacted? Uh, yeah. So I watched it for the first time last week with you yeah. on my couch and uh it was one of those movies that i was always like i want to i want to watch that i know it's something that i should watch and all this sort of stuff i knew it was manic pixie dream girl and all that but i didn't expect it to be so cringy and <laughs> like there fair. was like literally moments where i like felt like i needed to crawl out of my skin it was so uncomfortable mm. and um yeah, there was like, like obviously the soundtrack is incredible mm-hmm. and all that, and and it, there are like some really like well shot scenes, um, and Natalie Portman is a good actress, yeah. So I don't fault her for a cringy character, but like, uh, 
the writing was just, you know, uncomfortable. She, she played Sam as she was written, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she took she took direction. Yeah, she took direction. But you, on the other hand, you watched it. Yeah, I definitely it, like, saw it as a teenager. Did you see it when it came out, or um, how did that go? I don't. I don't think I saw it in theater, but I definitely saw it within a couple years of it coming out because I would have been fifteen in two thousand four. So yeah, I mm. definitely saw it by the time I was like sixteen, seventeen, and. Yeah, the first time I saw it, I really liked it. Yeah. It had a really good soundtrack. Um, aesthetically, it's very pleasing. It's moody. And it's like, I was a teenager, so like, of course, I just like romanticized the idea of like finding some guy to like fall deeply in love with me for just, just being like a silly, goofy weirdo. <laughs> for being so silly. So silly, goofy. And I mean, like, I don't know. It, it definitely ha- it has that quirkiness to it that mm-hmm. I think as a young person feels very, like, fun. Like, oh, this is what being an adult yeah. is. You get to just, like, ride around on dumb little bikes. and like, They make depression look fun. They really do. Yeah. It's like you just get to go to a party and take LSD when you're depressed. Like, <laughs> And a girl just, like, sticks her tongue, tongue down your, your throat. Ear. Yeah. It's, what? <laughs> that sounds fucking sick. Um, but... Then I watched it again in, like, my early 20s, like, probably 21. So by this time, I've been jaded by life mm-hmm. already. Um, it not. happened quick. The depression is not fun. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I was, like, watching it, and I just – brain's still developing. But then I was like, wow, you know, this whole movie is really about a guy finding a hot chick who basically, like, saves him from his depression. Yeah, just makes him feel good about it. Like, strokes his ego. Yeah, and, and I was like, damn, yeah. this movie sucks. <laughs> and our, my sister is four years younger than me, so she was probably like 18 at the time, and we were talking about the movie, and I, I had to lay it on to her, and I was just <laughs> like, listen, this movie's just about a sad boy who just like basically clings to some girl to like fix his problems. Which I think is what all sad boys try to do. Well, we've all been a girlfriend <laughs> therapist at one point in our life, yeah. so I it's definitely relatable. Maybe I had been a girlfriend therapist by that point, so I was like, That's wait a true. minute, different you, perspective. You're like, this is a tr- this is very triggering. <laughs> yeah. This is bringing up trauma. So I mean, you know, this movie, like score wise, like you know, it has really good reviews. It definitely is a hit, but um, for when it came out, but I definitely think people are looking at it now at a different perspective. So I'm glad for everyone sure. caught up with me. <laughs> Everyone started drinking your Kool-Aid. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome, welcome to, to Kelly Town. Enlighten. <laughs> yeah. Well, what is this film all about? Uh, so Garden State, it's a 2004 film. Uh, it's the first film that was written and directed by Zach Braff, who also stars as the melancholy sad boy. Um, he plays Andrew Largeman or Andy. Andy is a struggling actor in L.A., who returns home to New Jersey for the first time since he was sent away, I think, when he was a teenager, right? He, like, was sent to boarding school. Yeah, he went to boarding school yeah, at 16. And never never came back except for his mother's funeral. Um, we see that he has almost no relationship with his father, and we learn over the course of the film that he had been, like, prescribing Andy uh, medications to, like, uh, stunt his emotional responses. Literal lithium. Yeah, lithium. Since 10. Yeah. That's I, forgot, like, I forgot the exact age. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, sorry not to cut you off, but I was going to say, that's really the only thing I feel bad about for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was getting drugged, yeah, yeah, since he was a little kid. Um, but, yeah, so he, he was being basically... Uh, stunted mm-hmm. since he pushed his mom which was i think this was an interesting story choice was that it's so specific that his mom and him were in an argument he pushed his mom 
the dishwasher door was down, so she tripped over that and she broke her neck, which paralyzed her for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. And his dad was like, you're a psychopath. <laughs> I'm putting you on lithium, which honestly... I'm not like surprised that they no. thought he was a psychopath because any and like I think when he was like he was describing it as like I was just a little kid mm-hmm. I was mad I'm like I don't know I never pushed my parents growing up but I know that some kids do that is a thing but I just think I don't know I mean have you ever been around little boys though Oh that's true I remember I don't think my brother ever did it too I just remember when I'd work at the movie theater we'd have those standees or whatever mm-hmm. and i just remember little boys would just walk in and start punching stuff and i was like god someone put this little shit down <laughs> like disgusting. what the fuck all right maybe so, i've just not been around enough sociopaths I'm, yeah i was gonna say <laughs> your brother maybe has a soul and maybe that's why he wouldn't push your mother there you go maybe that's I mean, what it is he- yeah and that's a very valid point is he very much tries to like relinquish any responsibility yeah. like he doesn't have to take full like it's obviously yeah. it's not intentional it's to paralyze yeah. his mother <laughs> Yeah. However, he's still like freaked out and pushed her. Yeah, it's there's still consequences to actions. Yeah, I never hit my parents. Are you kidding me? And it's like it's clear that he was like at least close to ten when it happened. Like he wasn't. He knew it was wrong. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like like a little kid. It was old enough. Yeah, little kids after a certain age, you know, not to hit. You know exactly, or should you should, yeah. So, and if you don't, you're probably maybe Andy spoiled. was just a little shit. It sounds like, and it. then his dad was like, "Ooh, we <laughs> fucked up. Put this little fucker in lithium." And at the same time, I'm kind of like, I, I get it, I get it. It was a different time. Um, yeah. But anyway, so his first time returning home to New Jersey, and I guess like really seeing his dad, um, is when he returns for his mom's funeral, and back in New Jersey. Andy reconnects with old friends, but he stands out, like, oddly against the crowd and their burnout shenanigans, which is like, oh, isn't he so different and interesting? And all the hot girls want to kiss him because he's so cool and interesting and sad. But then he goes to a doctor to get guidance for being off of the medications his father prescribed. And that's where he meets Sam, who asks if he's, quote, retarded, like, seven times. (laughs) She really (laughs) really does. That was unhinged. That was wild. <laughs> Weird writing choice. That's all yeah, I'm going to say. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even for the early 2000s, it's... it's it was excessive. It's excessive. It's excessive. Yeah. We we didn't talk like that. We did say it, but we didn't talk like we that. We didn't talk like that. We didn't say it that much. No. In one sitting. And so Andy and Sam then spend like a whirlwind few days together where her extreme quirkiness and demonstrations of emotion and like extreme emotions, like she'll go from like laughing and being silly goofy to crying about her hamster. Um, And her immediate affection on top of all of this and like her intense care for him after just a few days kind of like brings him out of his apathy And then by the end of the film, Andy more or less works things out with his dad because Andy has showed him that feelings are good and he's committed to returning to L.A. to pursue his future and he's leaving a devastated and crumbling Sam behind who is left sobbing in a phone booth. I roll. Only to get for him to get off the plane at the last minute and be with Sam because more or less, why not? And she is eternally grateful with her tears and kisses, and it's pretty gross. Yeah. Sickening. Hard pass. Sick and twisted. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for telling me about that. Yeah, in case you forgot. Yeah, and talking about uh, Andy and his, uh, you know, 
lithium thing. I do think Andy's dad thinks he's trying to protect Andy from his feelings almost. Because mm-hmm. that is one way is it's like, yes, he's probably trying to numb Andy a bit from his extreme emotions. Yeah. Um, which like I like that you said Sam kind of shows him it's okay to have emotions where mm-hmm. I think his dad is kind of like trying to numb that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so a little about the bit about like the filming and whatnot. Uh, Zach Braff uh, describe, describes the themes of the movie as love for a lack of a better term. Um, and he kind of like said the movie is kind of like supposed to be an, an awakening uh quote he said i'm 26 years old and i've spent my whole life waiting for something else to start now i realize that this is all there is and i'm going to try to live my life like that and that's what andy says to his dad when he wants to get off the lithium mm-hmm. and uh basically like zach was just trying to say like this movie's like really cl- really really closely based on his real life right um which is like i don't know i don't know <laughs> i don't know how do you feel about movies written about people's own lives have a better life to write about yeah and it's it's like ladybirds like loosely based on greta gerwig's yeah. life um loosely because she was like prom queen and stuff she mm-hmm. wasn't like actually like awkward weird girl yeah for sure um which but at least like that's probably because being an awkward weird girl is a more interesting story than yeah. being a cool girl and i think when you write something about your life it's more important to take more and more and more creative liberties Mm -hmm. it's like use your own life as inspiration but don't write your life yeah so zach said about 75 percent of the film is based on truth um including scenes like the guy shooting the flaming arrow apparently his friend liked to do that which is psychotic Mm -hmm. um and then his dad in the film is a psychiatrist um and his actual mother and stepfather were sight uh psychologist whereas his stepmother was a therapist so he definitely had a lot of like a lot of that yeah yeah. in the family um he did work at a vietnamese restaurant while trying to make a living as a full-time actor Mm -hmm. and then sam's adopted african brother is inspired by zach braff's uh adopted mexican sister which i didn't know that um originally the film was supposed to be called largest arc which is uh, pulling from the main character is named Andrew Largeman. Mm-hmm. Um, but they decided that was like a little too niche. Like yeah. no one knows who that is. Yeah. And then it's like too on the nose almost. Yeah. yeah. Um, the film was shot in 25 days, which is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. It had a really small budget too. <clears throat> he said when he was writing the film – um quote when i wrote garden state i was completely depressed waiting tables and lonesome as i've ever been in my life the script was a way for me to articulate what i was feeling alone isolated a dime a dozen and homesick for a place that didn't exist i mean yeah i kind of are a dime a dozen no offense (laughs) um the scene where the dog is like humping his leg in the Mm -hmm. doctor's office they had to use a command to get the dog to do that and it was who's your bitch I just like that. That's a great fun fact. And then this is just like a wholesome one. So uh, I guess Method Man, his brief scene, he mm. uses a ton of foul language. That whole scene's like, Ugh. it's so it's so gross. Random. Yeah. Men, are you okay? <laughs> Why are y'all like peeping on people? And that's just weird as shit. But yeah. anyway, uh, men who do that, are you okay? The answer is no. But so I guess Method Man felt really like awkward and like, he didn't want to say that stuff around Natalie Portman. Be- oh, so that was written for him to yeah. say. Yes. Yes. And he, it was like, Natalie just thought it was funny, 
But Method Man was like, oh, I don't want to offend her. And he also really likes Star Wars, I guess. And she's Queen Amidala. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, so I think he was like... Not in front of the queen. Method Man was being a dork, and that's adorable. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. I know. That's interesting that none of that was, like, improvised. It was all written, and that kind of makes it even cringier. Oh, yeah, Yeah. for sure. Because it's funnier to think of Method Man saying, who saw some titties, as it, like... As it, like, just an improvised thing. Yeah, Yeah. but the fact that Zach Braff, like, wrote that in was... And was like, I want Method Man to say this. The writing's cringe. There's there's no way around it, boys and girls. Exactly. So, um, you know, speaking of Method Man and the character who... Well, Method Man being awkward around Natalie Portman, who then is the character Sam... Who is peak, like, Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Yes, yeah. Like, who is she? Who is the Manic Pixie Dream Girl? I think we all know. We know know, her. We know her. We've seen her. We've known. We've seen her in film. We, we've seen her in real life. We've seen her try to be in our real life. If you were a late teen, early twenties, you wanted to be her. You probably went through a phase. I know yeah. I did. We stay humble. <laughs> <laughs> if you could admit to not knowing many misfit songs, I could admit to not be to wanting to be a man. I'm Pixie staying Dream humble as well because yeah, yeah, I yeah. wanted to be her too, for sure. Um, so the term "manic pixie dream girl," which we're just going to start calling MP, yeah, it's because just easier. It's easier. So that term was first coined by film critic Nathan Rabin um, in 2007 with his review of the 2005 film Elizabethtown for the AV Club, um, which came obviously after Garden State, but um, I guess that this one just really blew it out of the water with the manic pixie dream girlness. I think um, it's just the first time they like finally coined it. Yeah, which makes sense that mm-hmm. it would come from like seeing it a couple times cuz I know he does reference um Garden State. Yeah. Um but in in discussing Kirsten Dunst's character, he said that Dunst embodies a character type I like to call the manic pixie dream girl, a character who exists solely in the fevered imaginations of a sensitive writer-director to teach broodingly soulful young men to embrace life and its infinite mysteries and adventures. Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> so other honorable mentions of the MP is, um, I, would, I, I would say almost like these are... Some of my favorites, mm. not all my favorites, yeah. but um, like 500 Days of Summer, Summer, obviously, Yeah. Um, which, you know, I wouldn't say she's one of my favorites. I don't love that movie. Uh, but then there's Clem, Clementine from Return yeah. of the Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and she's just She's kind of like the actual, what, like, if you want to aspire, like, mm-hmm. I feel like Clem was the... It's w- more like that she is authentically manic. Yeah. And that like, and she's Fair. weird. And so it's less of like performing this like uh, quirkiness and, and weirdness. Wait, did you have a manic pixie dream girl that like, did you have like one that you're like, I want to be like this one? So here's the thing. Because I'll admit mine if you admit yours. Okay. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Tell me, tell me, tell me that. <laughs> In 2012. <laughs> Dark times. <laughs> In 2012, hipsters were like the height of everything. Yeah. And Zoe De Chanel was taking over the world with 500 Days of Summer and New Girl. And which, her goddamn ukulele. And, the, and her bangs. Mm-hmm. And so I was, you know, I have dark hair, I have blue eyes, and uh, I had bangs yeah. at the time. So I got a lot of like comparison to kind of that. 
And so I definitely like leaned into that for a while, but um, sad to say. So who was yours? <laughs> Mine was Ramona Flowers from Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> ah, nice. <laughs> That's I better lo- than mine. I loved that she changed her hair color all yeah. the time and she rollerbladed, which I thought was cool because I had a roll- rollerblading accident as a kid and then got too scared to do it again. So <laughs> you're like, wow, she's fearless. I don't know. Ramona just, and I just loved how like blase she were, was towards Scott because I'd never had that kind of chill yeah. <laughs> in my early 20s. And I was like, I want to be chill like her and like pretend I don't care that a cute boy likes me. Exactly. Right. <laughs> they they are, they do have their inspiring moments. Mm-hmm. I think yours is less cringy than mine. To be I mean, honest. but Zoe was definitely probably she like. She was the moment yeah. for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but another one that I really like that I saw probably when I was like 21 or something was Ruby Sparks in the film Ruby Sparks. Mm, I've never seen that. I think it kind of, her character is like literally a character written by a writer Mm -hmm. who then like comes to life. And so he like can write to control the narrative. Oh. But then when she starts wanting like her own autonomy, he like continues to try to like control the narrative and he shows her like, no, I created you. And she's like, what's happening? And it's like, like, so it's kind of like one of those things that I think it more shows like the issue with writers writing Manic Pixie Dream Girls while she is also like a proud Manic Pixie Dream Girl. So I think that's a good one. What's the one that has Killian Murphy and Lucy Liu in it? I forgot the name oh, of it, but we need to. We watch need to watch that, that movie. Yeah, I have a feeling it's going to be good just because I have extreme bias and like both those. Oh, actors. for sure. Yeah, I do know his baby. That's his real baby. Yeah, and there's, like, I remember a scene that. Where he's like, she's <laughs> holding it and like kind of fumbles, and you can see him <laughs> he's, like, like actually scared. <laughs> yeah. uh, we so that's the thing. We do love the manic pixie dream girl. Yeah, she does have kind of a special place. And but uh, and then I think that there's this can be a discussion for later in the episode. But the difference of a manic pixie dream girl. Written by a man versus one written by a woman. Yeah. Um, but anyway. The, <laughs> the MP kind of like, I think we think of it really coming out of like the early 2000s. And there are, was a lot of references in like research to like, um, like, I forget what the what the films were, but like films from like the 40s and stuff that had like, just kind of like ditzy, free spirited women and stuff. Mm. But um I found this article by, uh, I think she's a just a scholar, Claire Solomon. Uh, her article, Anarcho-Feminist Melodrama and the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, 1929 to 2016. Um, and she discusses how like the modern conception of the MP was coined by Raven, Rabin, but is actually a character type from like avant-garde stage performances of an- anarcho-feminist stage of the late 1920s and 30s. So what she says is that originally when this archetype was used in the early 20th century, these protagonists and their like eccentric behavior caused uh, what she called like melodramatic misunderstandings. And in the example that she uses is called is by Medina and Rubia's Las Descontradas, which translates to the off-center ones. So pretty on the nose. And Solomon says this melodramatic misunderstanding reveals the extent of political corruption, the excessive power the protagonist husband holds, and emphasizes women's lack of rights despite the protagonists within this play's explicit lack of interest in civil rights. So she says that the this like the off-center character type of these kind of plays back in the early 20th century 
they would like wear quirky outfits. They would behave like kind of eccentrically. They were just kind of aloof to what women were typically supposed to be interested Mm -hmm. in. They would like have a random instrument that they would play like or that they might be holding and not even know how to play. Like that was actually very common. So a lot of the like things that we almost like mock the manic pixie dream girl of having were like actual archetypes of this this specific character in avant-garde theater yeah i was i was like kind of blown away and so like from her talking about how like the like that basically the anarcho-feminist melodramatic protagonist originally was to show like that in all the misunderstandings of like how people specifically men interpret women Mm -hmm is just another reflection of like women's oppression and by and these characters are more or less like they're so authentic that they go against the grain not because they want to be quirky but because they actually like genuinely are just a loop welcome back from intermission yeah our recording (laughs) Just died on us. We're just making too much content. We talked for 20 minutes longer than we were <laughs> recording. So you're all missing out on that. Yeah, some good stuff. <laughs> but where we left off <laughs> was talking about the kind of those origins of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl that we, you know, that I read in Claire Solomon's essay. And um, all in all, what that essay kind of showed me was that the, the tropes that were the Manic Pixie Dream Girl back in its origins, or what you could be seen as its origins in anarcho-feminist melodrama, is uh, more or less just a woman that doesn't exist within society in the parameters that society wants her to exist in. And instead, that has been repurposed from more or less a feminist character to a character that is purely built to serve the man. And that's kind of this idea that... um, society really likes to categorize women yeah definitely yeah i mean the manic pixie dream girl is just another like trope for women like i hope i didn't say this earlier but it just kind of makes me think like why the manic pixie dream girl um is kind of seen as like a pick me because she is not like other girls like because she's eccentric and because she likes niche stuff Mm -hmm. um and, like, the character, like, creating a manic pixie dream girl, if you will, or MP, it's, like, she ultimately serves no function beyond serving the male protagonist, whatever capacity that may be, whether mm-hmm. it be healing Andy through his depression and whatever else is wrong with him, or helping that character from 500 Days of Summer, whatever his problem was. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> And then, like, physically speaking, she's typically white. She's mm-hmm. hot. Like, yep. come on. Some of the ones we listed, Kirsten Dunst. Are you kidding me? She's yeah. so drop-dead. Natalie Portman, obviously, is, yeah. like, stunning. Um, Lucy Liu is beautiful, too. She may not be white, but she's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and then they're just, like, they're quirky, but they also are – it's, like, they're supposed – I feel like – in theory, they're supposed to be more complex than the typical tropes of women. Yeah. But without any actual substance to elevate her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a really good point. This idea of, I think it really comes down to is like, 
Manic Pixie Dream Girl is a archetype that women are categorized in. And there's not necessarily anything inherently wrong with mm-hmm. being that kind of woman. And it's more just in like, how is she, who who is writing her? How is she written? How is this, t- this genre of woman, if you will, mm-hmm. utilized in the media? Exactly. And ultimately, she's utilized as just something to support the male protagonist Mm -hmm. or in whatever capacity that may be and it's like they give you just enough about her to create like i don't know because that is like another trope of manic pixie dream girls is they have a trauma in their life so sam's is uh her epilepsy Mm -hmm. um forced is traumatic because she could no longer pursue her passion which mm-hmm. she was supposed to be really good ice skater right um and so it's like but again it's just there's no exploration into her feelings there's no depth to it it's just like and it truly in the film garden state in and of itself he wrote this just like just like almost like a checkbox of how to <laughs> write like an mp and like mm-hmm. a sad boy character because it's just like she hits every box. It's like you get the sad thing that she has epilepsy, but they never like discuss it further. It just explains away why she has to wear like a helmet. Yeah. And it's like, oh, she has to wear the helmet because she had a seizure at work where she's a paralegal. And like that's all you get. Like there's yeah. just it's all just so surface level with her, even though they do try to give you some personal stuff. It doesn't really dive in. And even when they talk about her brother, like, the whole thing is kind of weird because she just kind of, like, powers through mm-hmm. this, like, crazy situation where, like, her mom and her, yeah, like, adopted a kid through a Sally Struthers thing, which was, like, huge in the 90s and early <laughs> 2000s, and then, like, forgot about him, which she says because she got into ice skating, and then he, like, just happened to move yeah, to the United States, and then they were like, yeah, okay, you can come in our home, but, like, they don't talk about Sam's dad. Like, I don't know, it's just, like, there were so many things more they could have given the character, but as per usual, and especially since this character was written by a man with a very clear motivation for what he want needed mm-hmm. out of this female character, it's just made her just that. She's just a caricature of an actual woman. Yes. Like, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I I, I completely agree with that, and I, and I think what you said about her... Her feelings being so, or or everything about her being on the surface, being very surface level, is that she she does express emotion, mm-hmm. and she expresses a lot of emotion, but it's so like fast and reactive that it's like how deep and real. I don't know. Like I kind of wonder like how deep and real are those emotions because like something that she is is like Sam is a compulsive liar. Yeah, is one of one of her character traits. One, one of her core. One of her quirks. <laughs> It's just just so cringe. And then she's like, well, I feel bad about it and tell the truth after. And it's like, girl, you're still a compulsive liar. That's unhinged. You're still lying. (laughs) It's still weird. And so it's it's just that kind of thing of like she's so like – it's just so immediate with her feelings. And I know that that's like for for the character of Andy, like that's one of the things that helps him kind of come out of his own shell is Mm -hmm. is her ability to express her emotions. But it is – almost manic in like an unhealthy way yeah like actually like uh what is it the dsv five? (laughs) exactly exactly yeah and and that's because sam in it of herself the character is just a fantasy Mm -hmm. like she really and like 
I'm pretty sure if we were to directly quote him, that's kind of what he said. He wrote yeah. a character that was what he wanted yeah. when he felt like this in this time of his life. Yeah. Like, I wanted some hot girl who <laughs> just lies in a cute way yeah. to save my life. And I it's think, just like, yeah. Jesus. I think it was like, you know, when, when like we talked about earlier, whether or not it was recorded. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? We'll know later. We'll find out later. <laughs> Sorry mystery. if we referenced things that didn't happen. <laughs> just know we th- we did at some point. You just weren't there for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was very exclusive. Meta, if you will. <laughs> um, but he said in, because in, like Arden State's on its like 20 year anniversary. This year, basically. yeah. So he, there's a lot of like discussion around the film been a lot of criticism around the film more recently and he responded to that criticism and he was basically like i was just a sad guy that wanted so i wrote a girl my fantasy girl to come and save me because that's what i wanted and it's like that's the problem with writing women this way is that one is that you in your 20s had this perspective that it's a woman's responsibility to come and save you and then young men and adolescent boys are watching this and thinking, yeah, that's what I want. I need a girl to come and save me, but she better yep. be hot and she better not be like other girls. Well, right. And like they can't just work out through their own issues. They have to like cling on to some girl to do that. That's exactly actually really like a negative thing for men. It's like saying that they can't work out their own problems exactly. without some sort of woman to support them through it. Yeah. Talk about, like, I don't know, infantilizing yourself without yeah, even realizing right. it. And I mean, like, that's that's kind of, like, it's funny because we, we do get so much of Andy's character, like, actually to think about it now like this. Like, we get so much of Andy's character, but he still doesn't have a lot of depth. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, Sam is just, like, 100% surface level. Mm-hmm. And, but, like, she's just fulfilling that fantasy for andy who also has like no death i don't know it's just like the whole movie is very like kind of narcissistic and weird Mm -hmm. to me because it's just like none of the characters are really super like none of the characters are really likable no no they're like i really can't think of a single character like i i know a character i like go go for it the friend's mom oh yeah what's that (laughs) actress um jean uh oh no 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 i gotta look her up Hold on. She works. She works at like. Isn't that she works at like medieval times or something like no, that? No, her Jean Smart. Okay. Her piece, which is Jim Parsons. He works. He at works medieval at medieval times. times, and like the thing I love. Okay, that is true. She is the best she's character. A good character. And you literally, she's just a cameo, <laughs> yeah. which is funny that she's like her and Method Man are the best parts, and they're just mm-hmm. cameos. His part's weird, but at least he's funny. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, because she's just like banging some guy from high that went to high school with her son <laughs> and he's like in night clothes like in her house armor and yeah. she's just like proud of him too which is funny yeah uh you're right she was like really the only likable the character. only likable character and she was supposed to be like problematic yeah but, for sure i mean and she probably is but at least she like knows herself <laughs> hey she's vibing says more than the other characters right i mean and at least she wasn't committing crimes like the other characters <laughs> Um, and then just kind of to like wrap our MP up, you know, she, the, again, to like reinforce this idea, like there's nothing inherently bad about, you know, 
quirky, unique, eccentric women. Mm-hmm. Nothing bad about that either side of the table for quirky, eccentric men. But the thing is, is like the problem with these characterizations of them is that they're just fulfilling the same like tropes that we just keep regurgitating mm-hmm. and we just use a different version. So it's like she's still like harboring like white beauty standards. She's still holding on to like heteronormative gender roles. Like she really has no depth and you don't really question it because you just go along along with the like the romance narrative mm-hmm. of it. And it's like I it, it's that not like other girls mentality, which was like such a compliment in that time period. Yeah, so it's like sure. that's part of I think that's part of the reason why people give beef to Manic Pixie Dream Girls is because it came out in the era of not like other girls. Yeah. And it's like the thing was though, is like if you were alive as a girl or a young woman during that time that was the ultimate compliment Mm -hmm. which in it of itself is saying to be a woman is inherently bad yes or less yeah so and that's fucked because you're like uh, that's like a backhanded compliment it's extremely backhanded (laughs) it's like oh you're a cool girl you're not like other girls and it's like we've definitely i mean i've definitely heard that and was like oh wow yeah exactly that's what you want to hear yeah when you're young because it makes you feel like you're significant and unique but it also yeah but it's totally saying that other girls are bad and i think it totally does like kind of create this animosity just between women it's like this further divide continuously yeah Yeah. and it's like and that's even why i have like beef with like basic culture because Mm -hmm. it's like why is it if like why are we just always so ready to jump on women because they like like some sort of style or something Mm -hmm. it's like there was like four genres of boys when i went to high school and we don't (laughs) talk about that like there generally are still (laughs) what is like there's like jock yep there's like weirdo Mm -hmm. skater boys nerd and nerds and now there's hipsters well they're kind of which honestly i get yeah everyone else is everyone that's like a hipster is just a pick me guy but even with those not like other guys but like even with those niches there's still there's still so much more character depth to them and Mm -hmm. at no point are you ever saying to any of those male characters you're not like other boys yeah as a compliment exactly and that's like what ultimately is the problem with mps is it's like it's just another tool to like bolster this certain like to like not bolster but pit women against each Mm -hmm. other further because it's like well she's not this kind of girl she's this kind of girl and it's just like we're not here like i do want to be just like other girls because other girls are cool and pretty (laughs) (laughs) i like them and it's just like again it's just the problem with this character is it's just it's not women that are like this it's the fact that these characters are written to ultimately like continue these negative narratives and just again Ex- be extensions for their male counterpart absolutely. ultimately absolutely and i think it, it's something that i like am thinking about now which is kind of surprising that i haven't thought about mm-hmm. it before because it's in the name but the manic pixie dream girl is by definition doesn't exist she's a dream yeah and that's such a good point <laughs> why didn't either of us think of that i literally said like she's like a fantasy yeah, exactly. brain dead antics so it's like it's one of those things that like and I think that what Zach Braff says about, like, I wrote, like, my fantasy girl because that's what I wanted. The issue is, is that a lot, most of the people that consume film and entertainment will see these characters and they're, it's, they have a harder time separating, like, the art, the fantasy from reality, especially when 
a film is more of like a slice of life yeah. kind of film. Like obviously no one's going to be like, well, some people probably will be like, oh, Lord of the Rings is real. But like most people aren't going to believe what? that it's real. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've learned to, to, to believe that nothing's off the table for True. I went people. to high school with a pirate. Well. Captain Kyle. I went to <laughs> Captain Kyle. He made his own chain mail and I'm not lying. <laughs> I can show you him and I mean, him that in my yearbook. pretty impressive is like to make your own chain yeah, mail. Yeah, it was pretty impressive, Kyle but he was just an, fucking weird. Kyle's an underwhelming pirate's name. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm stuck on. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but it's just this thing of like so many people have a hard time separating like art and reality. Mm-hmm. And so... They're going to see a character like Natalie Portman who had, like, not Natalie Portman, but Sam, who has so many, like, real characteristics. Like, she looks like a real girl that mm-hmm. you could see because, like, they try to make her look more normal and yeah. stuff like that the best that they can. Yeah. And, um, but the thing is, is that she's still not real. She's yeah. still She's still a character. She's still something written from a man's fantasy, like a man's, you know, self-described fantasy. And so it's like, you know, that that's the whole thing of like when society keeps like perpetuating mm-hmm. that idea, though, like when when a piece of art then like transfers into how things are actually enacted in society, like that's kind of the problem. I go back and forth on like, is that the artist's responsibility or not? Like, well, yeah. I mean, but I will say like, I un- I recognize that this film is all like written and made from Andy's perspective. But even with that said, it doesn't mean that the supporting characters can't have more dynamics. Yeah, and stuff. depth. Yeah. I mean, it's like Bob is a supporting character to Steve on SLC Punk, but we mm-hmm. get a lot more context about Bob and we do get like, you know, we see him a lot more. As a- There's not a single scene of Sam without Zach Braff in it, I yeah. don't think. And I don't think so. so. Or I'm sorry, Andy. <laughs> so uh, it's like that's kind of interesting because you like you do get scenes with just Bob and like his emotions and stuff. Whereas like every time and both times she does cry, which I think you mentioned, it's like she cried when she had to bury her hamster mm-hmm. and then she cried when he left. Yeah. So it's like her. Yes, her emotions are strong, but they're also like. The hamster's valid, but like <laughs> over some guy you've known for three days, it's just the, the sobbing. Yeah, it for was me. uncontrollable, like childlike sobbing. sobbing. It well, was yeah. Wild. And that's, again, another trope of MPs is it's like they infantilize those characters. Yes, exactly. And Zach very much infantilized uh, that character, so mm-hmm. much so that he goes on this whole thing that where he's like, I think we've corrupted this innocent girl enough for the day. And she's like, I'm not innocent, like trying to mm-hmm. assert herself yeah. in some capacity in this film for the first goddamn time. And he's like, yes, you are. That's why I like you, okay? And I don't want this guy talking some sketchy quarry shit in the middle of Newark, Newark to find crack horse huffing turpentine or pit bulls raping each other, whatever else is down here. Jesus and it's just Christ. like, okay, first off, go off. Um, <laughs> but like, second of all, it's like, he's, again, mm-hmm. like the Madonna and the whore complex. It's like, the girl at the party was too forward. She's the whore. Mm-hmm. But Sam is his his Madonna. She's yeah. She's not only not like other girls in the capacity that she's unique and interesting and has some fun trauma. Mm-hmm. She's also innocent and won't yeah. put out immediately and tells him. I think you said that like she even tells him like 
I'm not going to make out with you. Yeah, she tells him multiple times, yeah. like, we're not going to make out, like, we're not going to spend the night or whatever. And creating yeah. that chase effect mm-hmm. a little bit, which is, like, <laughs> <laughs> dating as a, like, late teens, early 20s. Yeah, yeah, the chase is very real. And I would say so much more that, like, they don't even fall in love, in my opinion. This is lust. Yeah. Like, a thousand percent. Um, no, I think, and I think that's a really good point because... They don't, they do sleep together finally the night before he leaves. Mm-hmm. And that's when she's like in that sobbing fit in the airport. Yeah. It's like the morning after they had sex for the first yeah, time. Yeah. And then he's like gaslighting her, like, all right, I'm going to go home and fix myself. <laughs> and he's like, just kidding. And he's like, psych. I just wanted to make sure you'd be crying about it. <laughs> I just want to make sure you were still crying. Yeah. Cause she calls someone too. Does she or does yeah, she? Yeah, just- she's like, he just left. Oh. So yeah. she's like, not just sobbing in an airport. She's like, sobbing on the phone to whomever is yeah. on the other line, like, the love of my life just left. And it's yeah. like, girly pop, you just met this man. Yeah. And granted, again, it's because a man wrote her. Yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> because, exactly. like, I think past, like, teen years, you would should not be sobbing over men like that. No, you need to go to therapy. That you've known for a couple days. You need to go to therapy Sorry. if you are. Yeah, <laughs> I, it's okay if you want to cry about some singer that you have a crush on as a teenage girl, but like, who? When you get to a certain age, girly. Yeah, you gotta go to that's therapy. lust. That's not love, sweetie. So let's talk about this monster. <laughs> I was like, yeah, do we want to talk, talk about the guy that caused this mess? This fish-faced motherfucker, Zach Braff. <laughs> Uh, starring as Andrew L- Largeman, because, of course, he also has to be the star of his own film. And he has to be a large is- man. I bet you he goes home and, and jerks it to this film. <laughs> you know? I'm going to just go to the next level. I think last time I just called him a narcissist. No, he's cranking it to this film. He's cranking it. His, dog, his animals are, like, banging their heads against the wall. No. They're like, please, Father, stop doing Please this. stop. <laughs> and he's just like, I got to watch myself one more time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's most well known for his role in Scrubs as J.D. Dorian. Um, Garden State was his directorial debut. His uh, He also wrote the screenplay and starred in the film. He also compiled the film soundtrack, which I think is definitely the best. The best part of the, the film. The best part of this sure. movie. We, that's I think that was the problem was we were all like, oh, so much good like indie mm-hmm. music. Uh. Yeah, at the height of <laughs> yeah. like indie music it was like a being buzz. so good. We yeah. were high on the yeah. indie music, mm-hmm. so we couldn't see the actual like lack of substance it in this film. It made us feel like there was a lot more happening. Yeah, a lot more, go- yeah. A lot more deep shit going on. Um, he's also written and produced, written, produced, and directed the films Wish I Was Here and A Good person which i haven't seen that movie no i, I haven't seen either of those actually. i guess i saw i wish i was here back when it first came out mm-hmm. and was underwhelmed <laughs> which was a bummer because i was like a pretty big fan at the time but honestly the only other thing i had seen by then was scrubs mm-hmm. so that's all but uh but then I, I did read that some like uh a review about a good person was like, oh, Zach Braff is trying to get away from the manic pixie dream girl trope with this character um, because she's the main character, but she's still kind of like a not like other girls kind of character. And instead of being like this cute, like, what is it like a cute, a manic and pretty girl, she's just like gross and depressed or something like that. <laughs> she just has like severe depression. Severe and depression and wears sweatpants and has a bad haircut kind of thing. Wasn't Florence? Yeah, it was Florence Pugh. Like, can't you ask your partner how to write a female character? <laughs> like, just saying. I think that she just really likes how he, how he does stuff. I know they're not together anymore, but like. Well, I mean, that whole relationship's weird because if, just saying, Google a picture of her dad. No. 
do it. I will later. I'll be sad later. Yeah, it, uh, <laughs> Florence, honey. I really like Florence Pugh, but honey. Honey. Get a little therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Just a skosh. Just a touch. Um, what about the character he plays, who's yeah. also... I mean, I would say... Argue, pretty insufferable. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we, we talked already about... I think it's clear how much we don't like his character. But it's interesting because Claire Solomon kind of explains how, like, in tandem with the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, there's usually a male character that I think really describes um, Andy. Mm -hmm. Uh, She says this has been dubbed the Grumpy Manic Dream Fellow. He may be perpetual. uh, He may be a perpetual adolescent or merely a nebbish, timid, weak, ineffectual, producing nothing of value and offering only his grumpy self-expression in exchange for the Manic Pixie Dream Girl's complete availability. The Manic Pixie Dream Girl makes no demands on the nebbish, but has boundless energy with which to power through his rebuffs. So basically just reads him to filth. Yeah. Even though she doesn't reference him directly. He checked all the motherfucking boxes. It's seriously so like, like nail on the head. It's embarrassing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's because like, and that's the thing is that we, we get more of his character, like you said, than we do other characters. But like, all it still really is is like him being sad. Yeah. Why he's sad. And that he's like kind of a more mellow bummer compared to his friends. But it's like even his like his friend characters are like it's it's just like how the manic pixie dream girl is not like other girls. His character is not like the other guys. Yeah. And and we see like his it, it, I think it's both trying to I think it's trying to express his just his isolation, but mm-hmm. I think what it also is doing, whether consciously or not, is trying to communicate that he's like not that whole idea of like he's not like anybody else. He's unique, and you see it in like the shots where it's like he's isolated yeah. in the center of the frame, or like in the party scene when it's like everything's sped up and blurry around him, but he's in focus. Like it's it's supposed to show this like how he exists. In the world around him, mm-hmm. he doesn't fit properly. Yeah, and it's like just like how Natalie or Sam doesn't fit because mm-hmm. she's not like other girls. He doesn't fit either, and it's and it's just so interesting because like I think that the friends, like I think it's some it's something that you said either in the cut recording. <laughs> <laughs> Who can be sure until we listen to this? Uh, something you said was like. Um, that all of his, a lot of the characters that are his friends are like based on friends in his real life yeah. or whatever. And it's just like, they're all so shitty though. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they're all terrible people. Exactly. And and it's like all, all I think that they, the purpose that I think that those friends ultimately serve is to just make him look better. Which I would agree. But like another perspective could be like, if you meet a guy like this or a person like this who has friends like mm-hmm. this, like that's probably a bigger reflection of them as a Absolutely. person. Absolutely. And especially to think that he like gives up his life in LA to move back to New Jersey to, to be, be with, with those not friends. only Sam, but with, yeah, but with yeah. those friends. And it's like, it's just weird. And um, <clears throat> yeah, because they are really shitty people. And that's actually, I'm glad you said that not to go too far into this, but it's like, even in the context, it's like, his one friend is a grave robber, mm-hmm. the grave digger, and 
he watches witnesses his friend doing it mm-hmm. and it's like nbd but then i really question like would he have been okay with that had sam been present because sam when she did the funeral for a hamster she was like very serious about mm-hmm. it and it's like that's an interesting thing too because it's like he really likes these qualities in Sam where she's kind of like outspoken and like very emotional, mm-hmm. but like he's just so dead to the world that he just is like okay with his friends yeah. desecrating great. I don't know. I That just scene really rubbed me the wrong way that he just kind of like looked and it was like he just panned but didn't say anything. Yeah. But it, it was like. It was like he disapproved, but he wasn't going to say anything because he doesn't care enough or well, whatever. And that actually just made me think the whole field trip they go on to get the his mother's necklace. Mm-hmm. That means his friend who's a grave robber found a grave ro- robber for the Jewish cemetery mm. to steal that from that. Because he says, I don't work like a Jewish cemetery. Like he mentions that. Oh, interesting. So he got that from another grave, ro- grave robber. And he's like, cool. And I'm just yeah. like, no, your mom. That is weird. M- mom's grave was like desecrated. Yeah. And like. Jewish burial is like pretty sacred thing, so I don't know. It was just like yeah. I don't know. It's just icky. Like and I would. Sorry, go well, ahead. No, but well, it's just like weird. Yeah, and I and I think that like that kind of falls in line with I think what Andy's character is of like being like that selfish, narcissistic. Everything's about him because like we don't like. There's all these people in his life that he has a relationship with, and like for instance, like we know that his, his relationship with his dad is very like strained. Yeah, but all we get is Andy's side. Yeah, and more or less, we are supposed to believe that his dad is just this like abusive person that's been pumping him with lithium, which probably not the best thing to do. Yeah, but like at the same time, I think that he tries to write off like what happened to his mom of like pushing her she fell over the the dishwasher and got paralyzed he's trying to write it off of like i was just a kid yeah like but at the same time you were like 10 you were like probably old enough to know that you shouldn't be doing like pushing people and it's like and it is also like acknowledging the consequences of your actions even when you are a child like there is accountability for that and then beyond that it's also like the trauma your dad probably went through probably thinking that his kid's a fucking like little psychopath that's actually a really good point because it's like yeah he really does just kind of be like i'm just i was just a little boy i didn't Mm -hmm. mean to and it's like well but you did the push was intentional he said that because he said like he was so frustrated that she was sad all the time or whatever Mm -hmm. yeah which is like fucking hypocrite yeah because he's fucking sad all the time exactly and it's also frustrating because it's like i get his point of like Children aren't supposed to feel that weight from their parents. I I get that, but I also would be of the mind of like, but your parents aren't don't exist just for you. And if your mom had mental health issues, that's most often beyond her control. Yeah. So it's like to be like, well, my mom shouldn't have been so depressed that it made me mad enough to push her. Right. It's fucking insane. Yeah, because again, <laughs> he's he's taking He's relinquishing any responsibility he had in that action. And yeah, like, should he feel guilty for his, for like his mom being paralyzed from an accident or like bad judgment, I guess? Because I can't even really say it was an accident Mm -hmm. at that point because he did intentionally push her and he says that. Yeah. But like, that's okay to not like blame yourself for that. Mm -hmm. But you have to take responsibility in the action that you did. And I understand he was young when he did it, but even even as a 26-year-old man, Mm -hmm. he's basically validating himself that like, 
I just did this thing as a reaction yeah. to my mom's depression and then my dad just put me on lithium. Yeah, and he's he's also like it's it's almost like in the scene when he's discussing it with Sam, he it's like he's having the epiphany of it's not my fault. Right. And it's like that's not the epiphany you should be having as no. an adult. No. And it's just like and that's a, I think just kind of something that happens with his character repeatedly is like making meaning in like weird ways it's kind of like with sam she's just like existing and it's like she changed my life or yeah like, um and and like I, th- I kind of was thinking about like this idea that like sam as the mp is supposed to be like saving him from himself like that's the trope but then i was really thinking i was like what was the like turning point for him in the film and i think like the, we we see that change in him specifically when he like is in the quarry and he stands on the tractor or whatever and he screams and that's like literally him like releasing the mm-hmm. emotions he's caught pent up. And what what happens right before that is that him and his friend and Sam go to the quarry and they meet the antique jewelry trader or whatever. Russell Edgington? Russell Edgington yes. from True Blood. That's my gay the king. one. <laughs> my gay vampire king. He will always be the gay, <laughs> the gay vampire king. <laughs> um, but his name is Albert in this movie. So they go and they visit Albert and um it's it's you know pouring down rain they're they're sitting in his boat converted into a house and kind of just figuring out like why does he do this everyone's so quirky in this film god damn (laughs) and so albert says he lives and works in the quarry um because he's trying to discover something because he just likes the idea of discovering something of doing something that's completely unique that's never been done before which is like this whole like, you know, life is supposed to be about, you know, pursuing these crazy cool things, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But then when Andy refers to the quarry, like literally in response to that, Andy is like, oh, like Albert's abyss. Albert responds like, oh, no, no, that's all ego. None of that really matters. And which is like a complete contradiction because he was just saying he wants to do something unique and discover something. Mm-hmm. And then to say, well, no, that's just ego. It's like, it's almost like, well, it's ego when you say it. Yeah. And it's like. We pick and choose when things are ego around here. Exactly. (laughs) And so then he says, um, if I get to be with this person right here, referring to his wife and our beautiful baby, that's all I need. And as soon as he finishes that, like, I almost see it as like, it's not a lecture. He's Mm -hmm. like sharing about himself. But the contradictions make it feel like a lecture to me. Um, as soon as he's finished, like a reverse shot shows Andy and Sam like sitting together tight in frame. So it's supposed to kind of like tell us that that's what's supposed to be important to them and their lives. But again, it's like it it's just there's contradiction in it already. Yeah. And it kind of it it reflects the contradiction at the end of the film when he leaves Sam saying like, I got to go do something great. I got to figure it out. Blah, blah, blah. He leaves, she's crying, and then he comes back and he's like, no, 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 because this is all we got, blah, 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 blah. And they start making out and the film ends. And it's just like, it's so wishy-washy. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he's not committed to anything. No, that's a good point. Yeah. He's a Ken. He's a Ken. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no he, conviction. No conviction. <laughs> was like as soon as he discovered that it wasn't about horses, he's he was like, off that plane. Never mind. <laughs> and... I think it's funny because that quote uh, that 
Russell slash Albert said uh, about like doing something like totally unique. Isn't that exactly what Natalie Portman says? It is right before she goes or right after. Yeah. It's so interesting that she says the exact same thing earlier on in the film and it doesn't resonate to him until Uh, that man says it. Just saying. Just saying. Again. I will say he's saying it in like a A deeper context. (laughs) And she said it in her bedroom after like doing a stupid dance yeah which was the most cringy part of the entire film i will say you Am really I, you think i so? think it was you didn't like, think the r-word scene was no <laughs> but i also had seen that scene before so oh. maybe that's why but like i that like it's almost like i want to say like a squ- it's like she tries to do a squiggle performance yeah like she's the personification of squiggle in that moment and like it just makes me so uncomfortable. Trying to think what's to me the cringiest scene because there's like a lot. Yeah. There's like a lot. I think just like any scene that's close up on his face. <laughs> yeah. So Zach Braff, what do you think of him? <laughs> do you think he's cute? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, and I just, he's a bad writer too. <laughs> oh my God. Hate him. Hate him. <laughs> Well, let's let's talk about someone I do like. Someone that whose face you do want to look at. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Natalie Portman. I love Natalie Portman. Um, yeah, she's great. So she's been acting since she was twelve, with Oof. her first major film being uh, Leon the Professional, which I didn't see that until I was an adult. And I'm gonna say it: that movie's fucking weird. I haven't seen it. It's creepy. I didn't like it. It's weird. The dynamic between her and Leon is very weird because she's twelve. Yeah, that's. Usually. That's all I'm going to say. A lot of like. He's supposed to be like paternal. Yeah. But it's hard when. hmm, Children shouldn't act. Natalie Portman just said that. She literally just went on the Drew Barrymore show and said she had a good experience as a child actor because she Mm -hmm. was protected a lot. Like her parents were really involved. But she said straight up, I do not think kids should act. Yeah. And I've been saying that to you for for months that I really don't think anyone under 18 should be an actor. Absolutely. It's just too unsafe and it's just weird. And it's icky. And it's like even watching shows I do like, like American Horror Story, like I get sickened out the fact that like uh, Tessa is only 17 in that first season Mm -hmm. and she's making out with like a 25-year-old man. Like you literally couldn't just find an 18-year-old. Yeah, exactly. Just ugh. But anyway, (laughs) I digress. (laughs) Um, While she was still in high school, she made her Broadway debut in Diary of a Young Girl. At just 18 years old, Natalie gained international recognition as Padme Amidala in Star Wars Episode One: Phantom Menace. The queen. Queen Amidala indeed. (laughs) With that whiny ass Anakin. Oh Oh my my God. God. She should have drowned him by his little ponytail. Uh... (laughs) Portman took a brief hiatus from acting to attend Harvard University because she's not just beautiful. She's she's really hot and smart. (laughs) Um, And during that time, uh, because Zach Braff always wanted her for this role Mm. um, and she was on her hiatus when he was like working on it. Um, And he actually like wrote her a letter while she was at Harvard asking her to be on the role, uh, play the role. Just so weird. That's like, hey, like you're super successful actress already do you want to be in this indie film 
According to him, he was surprised she said yes. But I heard a rumor. I couldn't like validate it, but I heard a rumor that he actually like basically wrote the character because he wanted to meet Natalie Portman. Mm-hmm. And if that's true, you're sick. You're gross. That's fucking weird. Add it to the list. Add it to the list. Um, she won her first Golden Globe in 2004 for the film Closer, and she won an Academy Award in 2010 for Black Swan. Um. Yeah, so that's that's some of Natalie. So let's talk about Quite successful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's yeah, she's impressive woman for sure. Mm-hmm. So what about her character Sam? Who she acted well, yes. but woof. She acted well a character that was poorly written. Yes. So well, before um, Raven had coined the term manic, manic pixie dream girl. Uh, the other film, I said the other film critic, because he's like one of the biggest film critics. <laughs> that other one. <laughs> the other one. <laughs> Roger Ebert did a review of the film Garden State and said, uh, or he described Natalie Portman's character as, quote, a local girl who is one of those creatures you sometimes find in the movies, a, gl- a girl who is completely available, absolutely desirable, and really likes you. Her success in creating this character is all the more impressive because we learn almost nothing about her except that she's great to look at and has those positive attributes. Wait, can I just say really quick, because I don't think I've said this mm-hmm. in our re-recorded, <laughs> like so much of this is just projection. Yeah. Like this whole character is just projection. It's literally just all he wants. Yeah. In with, a woman that doesn't exist. With no consideration of what like her actual personality yeah. could be or feelings or interests. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely this the the whole film is I think it's something you said in the, <laughs> in the lost recording. <laughs> RIP. Like, <laughs> was that um you know that it it the film in itself is just like so narcissistic. Yeah. It's very like it's almost just like a like I remember I'm about to get very personal. In junior high, I was depressed. Yeah. So, I would write stories about like my favorite musicians and stuff and me being in love. Yeah. And it helped me through my depression. But you know what I didn't do? <laughs> Share those with the world. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like <laughs> we're doing it right now. But <laughs> but I mean, like, yeah, uh, I'd be a bold place slayer if I didn't say I made like a sim house with me and all my top crushes all <laughs> exactly. in love with me. Exactly. And they were all just constantly fighting over me because I kiss them and they get jealous. And I was like, yes. <laughs> And then you set them all on fire. But I was also like 13. Exactly. I was 13, 14. Not writing a movie. Exactly. And so, you know, work that shit out on your own time. <laughs> Get some sins. Like, exactly. Write some fanfic. Move on. Exactly. Anonymously, please. Yeah. Don't put. Don't attach your name to that. Um, but she literally like performs for him multiple times, whether it is like doing that like weird noise and dance in her bedroom to be unique or when he watches like her ice skating video, which to me, I feel like that scene was meant to show more of her character because it like was like she used to do this and th- and she's sad because she can't do it anymore. Yeah. It but it was like. It was literally like like she was like withdrawn, like don't watch it. Yeah. And then as soon as he was like, You were good, she's like, Really? Thanks. Like now <laughs> now she feels good about it. And yeah. it's like any like insecurity she had or depth of feeling that she had about that experience was just like resolved because he was like, You're good. Yeah, because the boy said she was good at it. It's so dumb. And then like or then when he has like his whole epiphany about his mom 
Um, in like, what was it? Like his friend's mansion or whatever. In and the he's bathtub? Like, well, no. Oh, maybe it was that. Okay. Well, whenever, whatever epiphany he yeah, has. Yeah, one of his epiphanies in the bathtub <laughs> or something. In the, when they're in the mansion by the fireplace. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he like, uh, he's getting, he's starting to have feelings. No, she, he has one tear, I think. That was in a bathtub because she grabbed a Dixie I'm cut so to collect confused. it. I'm so confused. You're right. Okay. This was before he cried. Okay. Go back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when he's in the mansion and they're by the fire because they just swam. Yes. Okay. So there is water there. <laughs> he there lo- could be he water. Looks, he looks wet. <laughs> um, so I forget what it was that he like. Clearly, I forget what it was. <laughs> <laughs> he had an epiphany about. It was something stupid. He was feeling some sort of feeling about something. He had his first time having that feeling that all girls had at like seven. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And. uh she literally is like, "Oh, I can tap dance for you." Oh my and god! And she I totally stands up and dances that. for him, like literally to like help him cope with his feelings. She dances, to and be that's a woman. so fucking weird to me. Like that, like it's just like any time that he needs, like he needs to find a way to cope or whatever. She literally like performs for him. To be a woman is to, to be perform. a woman is to perform. <laughs> that sounds exhausting, though. Oh my god, for it's real. like especially dating a guy like who who's been devoid of emotion for like over <laughs> ten years. It's like, <sighs> hold on, exactly. let me talk to you. Exactly. <laughs> Are you he's, crying? He's yet? also a baby, and he needs constant Ugh. like entertainment, like a stimulation. My god. Yeah, exactly. Get back on the lithium. <laughs> exactly. So, so it is just like you know. I think I think we've kind of like almost like beat it to a pulp. This idea of like her being the epitome of like the worst writing for a manic pixie dream girl because there is good writing for a manic pixie dream girl it can be done it can be done we've seen it be done (laughs) but i think like really good um really good examples of that aside from the ones we named earlier or even like like ladybird uh written by Greta Gerwig Mm -hmm. and like or even like Frances Ha written and starring Greta Gerwig or written by and starring Greta Gerwig it's like you can see these characters be written by most often women uh, just be given like so much more depth or if they just whoever's writing these characters like see the manic pixie dream girl as the equal mm-hmm. to the male character. Yeah. Because I think even like calling back to what was it Scott Pilgrim yeah. that you brought up earlier like he's not like a great character either like like he's he's not like a good person character dating a teenager exactly he's like a he's a pretty shit guy he is a shitty guy and like i feel like the just with the way the film is written in itself because it's the one that's kind of like comic book ish right it started as a comic book and then they made it into a movie so it is it's like the way that his character is written it's like he's given almost like the same amount of depth as was Ramona. Ramona. Yeah, that's kind of true. And I think it's the same thing for like Eternal Sunshine. Both Joel and Clem are given the same amount of depth. And I would say it's like the film that I think that like 500 Days of Summer, a lot of people say that it would like perpetuate the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. But I think what what's so interesting is that like what even like Joseph Gordon-Levitt that played the main guy says is like, you missed the point. Like, yeah. my character was the villain. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's like, my character was fucked up and projected onto her, and he shouldn't have done that. The, literally, the intent of that film is to show the issue with projecting onto a woman who just so happens to be a manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. And so it's like, when you see those that character be written well, 
I think it's kind of cool because it's like, like we talked about, there's so much criticism around the Manic Pixie Dream Girl still. And I think that like we can look back at like when it has actually been done well mm-hmm. and still celebrate those women. They're not inherently bad. And it's... not once do they put other women down. No, <laughs> like... no, not at all. And the, that's the whole thing is the problem with this film is that he was just so hyper focused on just his fucking narrative mm-hmm. that no other character gets really any depth. Yeah. And that's why Sam is so surface level. Yeah. It's like she she could have been a good character. Mm-hmm. There was some substance there to start with. Yeah. And then you just never get anything. And yeah. it's like Eternal Sunshine, which I hope I'm not repeating, <laughs> but like it is told from Joel's perspective just mm-hmm. as much as Scott Pilgrim is, but it's like you still get more. You get more about Knives in yeah. Scott Pilgrim than you do about Sam, really. Yeah. Like they have whole scenes of Knives like with her friend talking. Like granted, it's still talking about a boy, but it's yeah. just like... You never see Sam without Andy. Exactly. Yeah. And it, and then if you think further about it, like in a lot of those other films, other women do exist. Mm-hmm. Where it is in Garden State, the only other woman that is given like real lines is and is Sam's mom. Like yeah. there's the girls at the party that say like something, some throwaway line. They do about some the party, drugs and like make out with like, people. Yeah, <laughs> but like, but that's it. And so like. There's no other, there are really no other women of substance in the film at all. Whereas I feel like a lot of these other films do have some more women of substance. Yeah. And, um, and so I think that it's just like, it's one of those things where it's not, we don't, it's not just that we don't like Zach Braff as a person. It's not that we don't, um, you know, we just don't like the movie or whatever. It's just that, like, we've seen it be done well. Mm-hmm. And this was done really poorly. It was. And, and and it's just, like, unfortunately, all it's doing is just kind of, like, subscribing to these kind of toxic ideals for both characters, really. Yes. It's like Sam is, like, stuck to be, like, this one-dimensional kind of, like, quirky girl that has to perform for her sad boy boyfriend. And then he's just basically, like, he's codependent. Mm-hmm. And, like, he can't just, like, get a different therapist that isn't his dad. Yeah. He needs to fall in lust with some girl and then, like, make rash decisions impulsively because it's the first time he's felt anything because he's finally off of lithium. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It'd be interesting if they made a sequel to this movie from Sam's perspective three months after they broke up. I would really like to I see would that. probably like that movie. Yeah. I'll write it. <laughs> That's your fanfic. <laughs> That's my fanfic. Look out. <laughs> well, I don't think we need to go too in-depth with this response, but Kelly, Zach Braff, hot or not? Not. <laughs> not. Hard not. Hard not. She called him a fish, so. Yeah, I mean, hot or not is so beyond just physical. Yeah. But, like, it's just... I know it's his first movie. I know it's written from the perspective of a young man, which is like so much of that dating era is projection because we're Mm -hmm. just like all desperately running around with hormones. But it's just like he couldn't even like 20 years later when people give him some critical feedback, he couldn't like A, take it and B, he just kind of like justified it by like just reiterating the whole point why people don't like this movie anymore, which (laughs) is like you just made basically – you turned fanfic into a film. Yeah. That's what he did. Exactly. Like I said, nothing wrong with fanfic. Just keep it on the internet anonymously. Exactly. So Katie, the film, Garden State, bop or flop? <laughs> I think it's a flop. Is womp, this our womp. first flop? I think so. Yeah, this is our first flop. This is officially. our first flop. Officially. Uh, officially. But uh, yeah, it's just, 
it's it's got its good points with like some of the like cinematography is pretty like it's a pretty it's a pretty film great soundtrack great soundtrack yeah aesthetics and musically yeah you did a good job zach i'll give you that i'll exactly. give you a little pat exactly. on the back exactly exactly but like but as far as the story goes it's just so underdeveloped and i think again it's like would i be ripping on it as hard if a 40 something year old man didn't still defend it so yeah that's a good point because i think if he could look at it actually critically and be like yeah you're right like this trope that i Mm -hmm. am perpetuating wasn't like great that character wasn't he could admit like it's okay to say something you made isn't good yeah i think a lot of people do that yeah Yeah, so So, you know it's just kind of sorry boo boo sorry but you know it is what it is it is what it is well until next time watch out any patch of dirt literally bye Bye. watching out loud is recorded edited and produced by kelly appel katie sarasset and george sarasset All celebrity gossip is alleged, and any sources referenced can be found in the show notes. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Watching Out Loud Pod to stay up to date with episodes and all content. And if you would like to request any films or just reach out, you can also contact us at watchingoutloudpod at gmail.com. Until next time, watch watch out. out.